0: we were even anticipating the dismissal uh, this morning. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 20. We're going to read the entirety of this chapter, um, which is really just verses 1 to 6. That's one of the few narrative sections in the book of Isaiah. Um, if, you know, if you're with us last week, you'll know we're starting a, we started a new sermon series that we're calling Prophets and Parables, and we're looking at really creative, sometimes bizarre ways God communicated his truth to people. And if you are with us last week, we looked at the, the really bizarre story of Hosea. Uh, Hosea was a prophet of the Lord. Uh, he was commanded by God to go out and to marry a prostitute, uh, to bear children with that prostitute, to remain faithful to her till the very end, despite her wandering unfaithfulness throughout their marriage. Um, That seems like a shocking story, and it's meant to be shocking. Uh, It was meant to be shocking to everybody who witnessed it. It's meant for us to be a little surprised by it as well, to shock us to attention and to action. You see, in Hosea's day, uh, the the Israelites, God's people, had become very prosperous. Uh, They'd become very comfortable in their prosperity and pretty complacent as a result. And so God had to do something to really grabbed their attention. That's what this street theater was really all about. And in the Hosea story, they were reminded of the depth of their sin. Uh, They were reminded of the depth of God's undying love for them. And as we saw last week, it was a great reminder that God's love is overwhelmingly undeserved. It pursues us. It is faithful to the very end. And so this morning we're going we're to turn to another prophet and we're going to look at uh, a couple of bizarre things that God asked this prophet to do. We're going to look at the prophet Isaiah. He was known to be the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. Isn't that a great thing? The Shakespeare of the Old Testament. His book has been called the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. And so we're going to be reading from uh, chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 6. And We're going to look at a bizarre thing that God asked Isaiah to do in order to grab folks' attention, and it should grab our attention as well. So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. "'In the year that the commander-in-chief, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saying, "'Go and loose the sackcloth from your waist,' And take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, so, sa- so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, both the young and the old. Naked and barefoot, with buttocks uncovered, the nakedness of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and of Egypt their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And now, how shall we escape? This is God's word. I'm betting you haven't heard many sermons on this passage before, but here we are. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks that it's powerful, even in bizarre and unusual sections like this one. We pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see from your word this morning, uh, that your spirit would come and uh, visit our presence, open our eyes to your truth, and may we leave here changed as a result of that. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Well, this is quite a passage, uh, and before I get to this passage and sort of unpack what's going on here and what it means, I want us to recognize that this really isn't the only bizarre thing that God asked the prophet Isaiah to do throughout his ministry. In fact, his entire ministry Uh, could be uh, described as bizarre, really from start to finish. Isaiah uh, came from a really uh, well-to-do family in the ancient world. He was very politically connected. Most people think that he was the cousin of the king of his people. And so if that is indeed true, that would have afforded him a certain lifestyle and a certain class in the ancient world. What we know is he was really well-educated. He was a beautiful writer, and he probably lived in the royal court, a very comfortable lifestyle, uh, a a lifestyle of affluence. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this incredible meeting with the Lord. And he receives a vision from God and a commission to be God's spokesperson, to be a prophet of the Lord. And if you've never read Isaiah chapter six, it is an incredibly powerful passage. Uh, It is a beautiful picture of the message of the gospel and uh, just an amazing thing to behold. But after the narrative of his conviction, God says something uh, to Isaiah that is a bit bizarre. God says in the midst of this commission in verses nine to 10, he says to Isaiah these words, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and turn and be healed." In short, what God is saying to Isaiah here is that I'm going to call you to say all sorts of things to all sorts of people, to deliver to these people the truth of God and my message for them. But what he tells Isaiah is this, but nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to pay attention. Nobody's going to take to heart the things that you say. Your commission your calling will be one of people ignoring you. And it will feel like utter futility day in and day out. I read the story this week of of Eugene Peterson, who many people know uh, is the the translator of the message, was a pastor in this area for so many years. And when he was a very young man, he got called to his very first ministry point uh, in a small town in Montana called Townsend. So as a young man, he, he decides, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to move to Townsend. I'm going to start a, a, a church there. I'm going to plan a church, start a ministry there. And so he gets to Townsend. He goes and finds a, a tent-making job at the local butcher shop. Uh, he goes and he rents an apartment. And he said, well, I better get at the work of the ministry. So what he decides to do is he goes to every single house on the town. He knocks on every person's door. And he says, hi, my name's Eugene Peterson. I'm here to start a new church in this area. And uh, would you be interested in in coming to church? And he said, every single person he spoke to either slammed the door in his face or said no in a pretty rude sort of manner. So he went on to the next house and the next house and the next house till he came to the very end of town. There were no many doors. there, There weren't any more doors to knock on. And every door had said no or slammed the door in his face. And he said, well, I guess that's it. He packed up his car and he left town. And he said, so my first ministry post ever lasted only 18 hours, only 18 hours. Well, I thought about that as I thought about Isaiah this week. Because for the rest of his ministry, every door would be shut in his face. And yet God would have him persist in this office of prophet for the rest of his life a ministry that lasted over 60 years. So his ministry alone was a ministry of futility. It was bizarre in its own right. But perhaps the most bizarre thing that God would ask Isaiah to do is found in our passage this morning in chapter 20, where God comes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, I want you to to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. And so imagine this well-to-do prophet who had lived in the royal court and had all sorts of affluence and status as a result of that, would literally need to bear himself to the world for three years. Now, as I thought about this week, I'm really thankful God doesn't ask ministers today To do such things in order to grab people's attention, because all I had this week was flashbacks of my middle school years and and friends pantsing me in front of other people, and the, the shame that happened as a result of that. Maybe you've been there before and can share a few of those horror stories, but there's a lot going on here and a little bit of context will I think help us understand what is happening here, and I think we actually might find this bizarre story to be a little more relevant than we originally thought in terms of even grabbing our attention just as it did for the folks in Isaiah's day. Well, a little bit about the whole book. In the first 12 chapters of the book of Isaiah, they're they're sort of full of judgment and words of judgment for the nations of Israel and Judah, uh, which were God's people back then. Uh, At this point in their history, Israel and Judah were very prosperous, just like we saw last week with Hosea. Uh, They were very prosperous. uh, They were very comfortable. And whenever sort of prosperity and comfort comes along, it's really easy to forget about God. And that was certainly true for God's people. They were really good at going through the rituals and jumping through the hoops and going through all the religious practices. So they did all the outward behavior, but the Lord knew that their heart wasn't in it anymore. And that even though they engaged in all the right rituals and all the right practices, they had a heart of disobedience towards God. The heart of it all was gone. And so in the first 12 chapters, there's all these words of coming judgment because of the people's disobedience and because of their sort of hollow acceptance of religion. And so God calls them to repent and to return to the Lord, not just in outward practice, but in their hearts as well to return to the Lord. So that's what the first 12 chapters really talk about. And then the next couple of chapters, uh, chapters 13 to 23 are chapters full of judgment as well. But instead of judgment for God's people, they are for the surrounding nations that are around them. And that's where our passage finds its home. In our passage, God has Isaiah strip himself naked in shame to show how God is going to shame the, the, the neighboring nations of Egypt and Cush, how he's going to shame those people. So you might be wondering, what on earth does this mean for us today? What did it really mean back then? What does it mean for us today? Well, I think we'll discover there's probably more meaning for us than we often think. But to see that, we have to think about the the sort of bigger context as well of what's going on during this book. For God's people, even though they as a nation were prospering, there was a really dark storm that was looming all around them. And that dark storm was in the form of the Assyrian Empire. This was a really strong empire that was gathering in its strength and its power and its influence. It was a nation that was conquering nation after nation. And all of a sudden, they had moved on to the doorstep of Israel and Judah, God's people. And so Israel and Judah were clearly outmatched by the Assyrians Because the Assyrians were far more powerful militarily. They had great uh, influence. They were a huge superpower that was conquering the whole world and was now on the doorstep of God's people. So imagine yourself as God's people for a minute. You have sort of a decision to make with this looming storm, this Assyrian empire that's gathering all around them. Do they, this was a decision they had to make, do they repent? Do they return to the Lord and trust in him with their future despite the circumstances? Or do they decide instead to just take matters into their own hands? Do they just continue to ignore God and and sort of seek to figure out this problem on their own using their own resources and using their own ingenuity? Well, what do you think they did? Well, they chose that latter option. They chose to take matters into their own hands. And so against uh, the Lord's will and against Isaiah's counsel, they choose to have a political alliance. They choose to ally themselves with Egypt and with Cush, two other smaller nations that were around them. And together, they're going to sort of stand in the face of the Assyrian Empire, So the the nation decides to do this. And then all of a sudden, what does Isaiah do? Isaiah starts to walk around naked. And everybody's wondering, what on earth does all of this mean? Well, Isaiah declares that he's walking around naked to show to everyone what's going to happen to Egypt and to Cush. These nations that you've chosen to ally yourselves with, they will be brought to shame. And so will you, because you have trusted in them instead of trusting in the Lord. And then, of course, what we know from history is in 722, the Assyrians conquer Egypt, they conquer Cush, and then they conquer God's people. All of these people are brought to shame. So the question then becomes, what on earth does this passage mean to us? What can this whole story mean to us? Or how can we apply this street theater, this message on demonstration to our own faith? Well, the truth is that you and I are, are probably not in, uh, facing some sort of invading army or some political threat that seems to threaten our own very lives or our own existence but if we're honest with ourselves, we are no stranger to gathering storms, to gathering storms of circumstance. And so the question becomes, what will you trust in with whatever gathering storm you are about to face? What are you going to trust in? This past week, uh, we had lots of storms. Almost, it felt like every night we were having storms. And And one of those nights, I think it was Tuesday night, Cameron and I were over at Oregon Ridge Park. And if you've ever been uh, over at Oregon Ridge Park, it's a great place to be. There's uh, acres of rolling hills, uh, one after another, all at the foot of this beautiful ridge that's full of hiking trails. And uh, we were there just uh, spending some time at practice. and, And all of a sudden, we could start feeling the temperature changing a little bit. And then you sort of felt the wind pick up a little bit. And then the, the leaves were starting to turn over because they were being caught by uh, the wind. And then we, we looked up to the west and we saw this. Uh, it was a bright sky to the east. And then on the west, you could see this long line of really dark clouds. And all of a sudden, those dark clouds started to creep across the sky. And we knew a storm was coming. Fortunately, we, we made it back to our cars before the intensity Uh, really came about. But if you've lived any length of life, you'll know that life is sometimes like that. Sometimes you can feel just the temperature of your life beginning to change, or you can sort of see the clouds that are gathering on the horizon. There's this funny meme that's going around, maybe you've seen it uh, on social media, this meme goes around that shows uh, on one side, uh, our plans for the future, And then, uh, or for the plans for the fall. And then on the other side, you see the Delta variant of COVID, right? And that's just a great expression of maybe we might be facing another gathering storm just as we've made plans for our fall. But it doesn't have to be a pandemic or some reality to COVID. Life presents us all sorts of storms. And you know this, you've had to endure them at points in your life. And some of those storms come upon us very suddenly. We don't expect them, and they just come out of left field. But most of the time, we have some inkling that something is coming in our lives. Maybe that gathering storm is something that happens at work, a major issue that you know at some point you're going to have to deal with this storm. Maybe the gathering storm is a family issue, Maybe it's a relationship that, that sort of keeps deteriorating and you can sort of feel the pressure that's building in that relationship. Maybe it could be a, a financial position. You just feel like each month writing the checks that uh, you just fall farther and farther and farther behind. Maybe it's an addiction that just feels like it's, it's tightening its grip more and more in your life. Really, these storms can take the form of anything. And so the question becomes, what will you trust in in those moments? What will you trust in when the, the clouds of that storm begin to gather in your life? Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to speak poorly about ingenuity or hard work or strategic thinking when it comes to our lives. God calls us to use the resources that he has given us. He calls us to to exercise all sorts of wisdom that he grants to us. But the, the question is this, at the core of it all, at the lowest common denominator, at the deepest part of our lives, at the core of who you are, who are you trusting in to make life work? Who are you trusting in when the storm clouds gather? Because let's face it, sometimes those gathering storms can feel pretty big and they can certainly feel overwhelming. Think for a minute about the Israelite people hundreds of years before the prophet Isaiah. Think of them as a nation that was recently emancipated as a slave race to the Egyptians Think of them exiting Egypt with little to no resources whatsoever, and they're encamped at the, at the shore of the Red Sea when they begin to hear the beating of horse hooves in the distance. They begin to hear the wheels of the chariots of the Egyptian army approaching them. Do you think in that moment they started to think about military strategy? Do you think they started to think about their own resources and ingenuity? Well, maybe they did. I don't know. It doesn't tell us in the passage. But what we do know is as soon as that sound started to fill their ears and they could look to the west or the east or wherever it was and see that Egyptian army pursuing them, Moses stood up. He stood up in the midst of this storm of circumstances and he yells to the people. I don't think he just said this lightly. I think he yelled. To the people, and he said this Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you, seem to, who you see today, you will never see again. And catch this the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I loved that last phrase you have only to be silent. Psalm 20 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. In fact, Psalm 25 says this, none who wait for you, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Isn't that a beautiful truth? Now, we certainly have talked about these circumstances of our lives, and sometimes they uh, gather all around us. Maybe some of you feel like you're in the midst of the storm right now. Maybe some of, the, some of you feel like the storm is gathering, or you just got past the storm. That's what life is really all about. But one of the things that the scriptures talk about it is there is a deeper component to all this than just our everyday storms of circumstance. Because the scriptures teach us that the biggest storm we will ever face in our life is the storm of God's judgment that is directed towards sin. Carl Jung said that uh, shame is a soul-eating emotion. I put that in our Thursday email this week. Shame is a soul-eating emotion. And I don't need to explain that to you. We all know what that feels like and what he's talking about. We all know that sort of feeling of shame that gnaws at our deepest parts of our heart and at our soul. In fact, when Isaiah witnessed the glory of God at his commissioning in Isaiah chapter 6, it tells us he immediately felt all sorts of shame. He cried out, he said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. When he was beholding the the face of a holy God, his spirit felt stripped away and he stood before God in all sorts of shame. And friends, if you and I were in Isaiah's shoe, we would feel the very same thing. We would feel that same sense of spiritual nakedness and shame, the storm of God's wrath that each one of us deserve, the justly deserve, for sin is a very real thing all throughout the scriptures. And the truth is no amount of effort or ingenuity on our part can fix this situation No false covering, no reputation building can cover over our nakedness. No amount of counseling or psychotherapy, as valuable as those things can be, none of them can truly cover over our shame. We are all helpless before a holy God. We stand naked and exposed before this storm. But friends, the good news of the gospel is this that Jesus came and stepped into the storm. That Jesus came and at the end of his life, he was stripped naked and shamed before the crowd. Jesus was paraded throughout town and hung naked on a cross, bearing the storm of God's wrath for sin. He was stripped so that we wouldn't have to be. He dealt with our shame because he knew that we couldn't deal with our shame. And the gospel tells us that if we put our ultimate trust in him, then we will never need to fear the storm of God's wrath. In fact, Romans 10 puts it so beautifully when it says this very simply, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So friend, if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, then recognize that there is nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go with your shame, no other way to deal with it. Instead, run to Jesus, find refuge in the storm. He is the only one that can truly deal with your sin and shame. But if you've done that already with your life, I don't have to tell you this, trusting in Jesus, guess what? It's not just a one-time thing. It's not a one-and-done sort of circumstance. Instead, it characterizes the entire journey of faith from start to finish. Even though Jesus took care of the storm of God's judgment, that doesn't mean that we're not gonna face storms day in day in, and day out in our lives the question just simply becomes, who will you trust when those storms do come? Some may trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.